1 Corinthians 12, beginning at verse 12. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit in one body. For the Jews, the Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lack it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. That's right. Lord, that's your word, spoken to us. It has the power to bring faith, to bring the renewing of our minds, the transformations, the Holy Spirit, use your word above and beyond anything I have to say about. In the name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> um, before I continue, I'm going to need a couple of volunteers to help dispense these. These are just some fill-in-the-blank things to help you remember some of the points of my message this morning, or to go the back, turn it around, Google, make a list. Um, <laughs> it's not a sunny spring day, but if I could have a couple of volunteers to distribute these. So, uh, Thank you again. It's a privilege to be uh, back with you this morning and to be asked to speak. I consider that to be a compliment. And uh, they, uh, if you were curious about the title of my message this morning, Doctrine Stuff Comes in the Body of Christ, if that provoked your interest a little bit, then my trick worked. Because I should say that that was just a cheap stunt to get Dad grab some attention. Um, uh, because my, my sermon has a medical theme to it. As I thought about medical themes, for some reason I thought of Dr. Stuffman. I'm not a doctor and I don't play one on TV, so I shamelessly hijacked the name of a famous TV doctor and introduced the theme. Does anyone here know who Dr. Stuffman is? That's a surprising number of people. So you probably have young children or young grandchildren, and if you know who Dr. Stuffman is, and are amazing healing abilities. Uh, with broken toys of every description. Here's why I'm leaning on the good doctor today. Dr. McStuffins has a catchphrase that she says in every show just after her examination of an ailing doll or stuffed animal. Does anyone know what it is? 
She examines the animal and she always pronounces, I have a diagnosis. All right, everyone say that with me. I have a diagnosis. Great. If you're the type to fill in blanks, that's the first blank Thank to you. fill in. I have a diagnosis. You can quote Dr. McSuffles. It really is the first blank, the first uh, piece of information to fill in. The psalmist asks himself three times in the psalms, and I, I've captured part of that quote there. Three times in the psalms, in different places, the psalmist asks himself, why are you so troubled, O oh my soul? My paraphrase is, what's wrong with me? What's, what's bugging me? Have you ever had that thought when, when you're just not right? You can't really put your finger on it. You know, something's just off. What's, what's bugging me? What's wrong with me? Maybe it's physical, maybe it's attitude, whatever it is. But you just catch yourself and ask yourself, what's, what's, what's going on? My mother-in-law would say her answer would be, you're just out of sorts. All right, that was her response. Anytime Denise would complain of anything, uh, my mother-in-law Pearl would just respond, well, you're out of sorts. We still don't know what that means, but that has become a very handy response for us, too. My dad's mom would skip straight from diagnosis over to treatment. No matter what my dad's complaint was, her remedy was, go lay over a chair. All right. <laughs> We've never actually done that, but I think she, we know what she meant by that. See, in Pearl and in Lena's world, 99% of all physical complaints had to do with intestinal gas. So I think that's just. <laughs> now, whenever a church, the local gathered body of Christ, is not functioning at 100%, when things are off, when things are, are just not right when we're out of sorts, we need to begin with examination, an, an honest self-examination. We need to ask ourselves, what's wrong? What's, what's wrong with it? What's bugging us? You see, when we talk about the body of Christ, a lot of times we focus on size. We think that size is the critical issue, but health is the critical issue. Size really doesn't matter when it comes to the body of Christ. Look, we know that with our own bodies, is, is, is bigger always better? Speaking for myself, no. I've said, you know, I'm trying to lose 10 pounds and only 15 to go. You know, bigger is not a health, fitness. That is what, it is what really matters. In the United States, annually, I, I read recently that 7,000 churches close in the United States every year. Now, 4,000 churches open every year. But that's a net loss of 3,000 churches. Now, we don't know all of the demographics. We don't know where all of the people go from the churches that close. And, and, and some of them are going to larger churches or congregations are merging. But we do know that something's not right. Something's off. And we need to ask ourselves, what? Because the question isn't science. The question is health. So today we're looking at, uh, at the health of the body of Christ and doing a little diagnosis. <coughs> the ultimate diagnostician, the ultimate place to begin, and if you forget everything else that I say today, remember this, the ultimate diagnostician for the body of Christ is the Holy Spirit. He is a great physician, and when we think something's not right, we must ask the Holy Spirit to do the diagnosis, do the examination. His insights are greater than even Dr. Mustafa's. 
Nonetheless, I'm going to try to serve as a sort of physician's assistant this morning, outline several common illnesses that afflict the body of Christ. And perhaps the Holy Spirit will use my observation, perhaps at some point you may say to yourself, ah, I think I have that One of the most interesting and vivid pictures that the Bible gives to us of a congregation, of a collective followers of, of Jesus Christ is the body. There's a lot of different images used in the scripture. We talk about family, we talk about a house, we talk about, and we use different models to try to organize churches and things like that, and business models and family models and things like that. But one of the most vivid and helpful pictures is that of a body. That's why that keeps coming up again and again. Two examples that we read this morning from Romans and 1 Corinthians. It's a metaphor we naturally understand. Almost as soon as we are conscious, we instinctively grasp that all of our parts have to function harmoniously for us to be at our best. It's not enough to get cooperation from most of our parts. Um, ask any baby with gas. Anybody here ever carried around a baby struggling with gas? You know, uh, I used to carry Lydia with her belly down on my, my forearm, kind of parade around the house and she just stopped moving, she'd start crying. Anybody, your parents ever had that experience? Yeah. And, and it would cross my mind, I think, why are you so cranky? You know, your life is pretty good. You got every need attended to, you're safe, you're warm, you're fed, you know. You should be pretty happy. No. Babies know that if 5% of them is uncomfortable, 100% of them is uncomfortable. <laughs> You know, you you I want to say, what's a little gas? Go lay on a chair. <laughs> she was out of sorts. The body is a good picture of the church, and every body needs an occasional exam, a checkup, what used to be called a routine physical. I realize that these days those physicals are anything but, but routine. One guy went to his doctor, and the doctor did the typical workup, and as he was starting to get dressed, the doctor said, hold on, just a moment. The door opened up, in walked a gray cat, sat down, examined the guy up and down, twitched his tail and walked out. Before the guy could even ask what was going on, he said, hold on. The door opened up again, a large yellow dog walked in, sniffed the guy up and down, barked at him, and then walked out. The doctor said, now you can get dressed. He said, that'll be at 500 bucks. I said, 500 bucks, what for? Well, $100 for my exam, $200 for the gas scan, and $200 for the lab report. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a man of medicine. <laughs> comedy, but, uh, but I do hope that today will help us recognize if there's anything trouble with us. So, if you're a fill in the blanker type, the first common illness of the body of Christ, I put scripture references. Uh, that touch on the remedy for those things uh, under each of the line. But the first common illness of the body of Christ is also the most common, and it is heart trouble. It's heart trouble. Many of you know that uh, heart ailments, heart disease, is the number one killer in the in the U.S. US. And heart trouble in the body of Christ is not like heart trouble in our physical bodies, but it is just as serious. Now, many of you know that I have some familiarity, familiarity with, uh, with heart troubles. And just a few weeks ago, I marked an anniversary of my uh, cardiac arrest. 
for which God miraculously delivered me. It's something I literally think about every single day. Ever since then, whenever I had an answer question on, whenever I had an answer questions on health forms at places like the dentist, you have to fill in those things. There's always a place on there that you have to uh, indicate whether or not you have heart disease. I struggle with that. I don't have heart disease. I mean, other than occasionally stopping for no good reason at all. Uh, but other than that, I'm just fine. So I don't know if that counts. Heart trouble in the body of Christ has different definitions, though. The heart of the body of Christ should be like Jesus' own heart. Tender, warm, breakable. It should be vulnerable. It should be moved by the things that move Jesus' own heart, whether it's sorrow, whether it's rejoicing, whether it's righteous anger. Heart trouble in the body of Christ is when the heart grows cold, when it gets defensive or hard, a heart that has become divided and not filled with love. The number one thing that keeps the church from functioning at its best because it has ripple effects in every other area of the body of Christ is heart trouble. And as we do the examination, we have, we have to ask ourselves, do we really care about the other people in our midst? Do we really care about the people in our community? It's hard work to care. And that's oftentimes why our hearts get tired, our hearts get, get hard. It's because caring for other people is a lot of work. It's exhausting. And so a heart that is filled with love cannot generate that by itself. It has to be a recipient of love from, from God. We have to be actively filling our hearts with the love of God, asking, constantly asking God to fill our hearts so that then becomes an overflow, not of ourselves, but of Him. A heart that is filled with love is a healthy heart. And the number one thing that keeps the church from functioning at its best is heart trouble. The second common illness in the body of Christ is nerve damage. Nerve damage. The nervous system is a communication system of the body. It means that, the, that it's a means by which messages get back and forth um, to every part of our body. The way the body gets and sends information. Now, I want you all to just sort of stick out one of your arms, try not to hit the neighbor next to you, and, and then watch the end of your hand as you open and close your chest. Right? It's, it's a thing we do thousands of times a day without even thinking about it. But I want you to just contemplate for a moment all of the stuff that has to happen for that action to take place. Um, not only muscles and sinews, but, but all of the information that has to be transferred back and forth at lightning speed, literally lightning speed, for that simple action to take place. It requires good communication. It requires a healthy nervous system. If that flow of communication gets interrupted, all kinds of problems result. I'm a pretty heavy sleeper, and on more than one occasion, I have fallen asleep on my chest with my arms folded underneath me. Anybody ever have that happen to you? And I get up in the morning, and I roll out of bed, and I'm like this. You know, my arms have fallen asleep. You know, that can be a dangerous thing as you're trying to get dressed or brush your teeth or something, because it's kind of more something like this, you know, than that. Can't even grip a, a, a toothbrush. That's because my arms have fallen asleep, but a lot of times people think that when a limb has fallen asleep, that it has been deprived of blood. That's not the case. It's because the nerves have been compressed 
and that communication is no longer uh, taking place. In a church body, we cannot afford to be isolated from one another. The body of Christ was not designed to be an assembly of standalone little idols. It was designed to be, as a body, communicating with one another. In this group today, I don't know everything that's going on. You probably don't know everything that's going on. But in this group, there's probably joy represented, there's probably pain, there may be suffering, there may be need or injury, but the messages may not be getting through. Nerve damage in the body of Christ means that people are not really communicating. Relationships can be polite, they can be friendly, they can be superficial, but not really talking to and praying for and helping one another the way that we are. We are together in a room, but you can function like independent elements instead of living that day. Ask yourself, do I really know my brothers and sisters in Christ uh, in this congregation, and do they know me? Now listen, I want to be very clear about this. We don't have to know everybody, but everybody should know somebody. I'll say that again. Now, you don't have to know everybody, but everybody should know somebody. There should always be, when you walk into a place like this, there should be somebody that you can connect with, somebody that you can communicate with, somebody who who is going to be able to talk to you and and pray with you. If you don't have that connection, please go about establishing that as quickly as possible. Nerve damage, that lack of communication will be detrimental to 100% function of the body of Christ. Another common illness is transplant rejection. Number three is transplant rejection. One of the unique things about the body of Christ is that it's always getting transplants. It's always getting new parts. It's always getting new, uh, new, new people. Continually through the life of the church, people move in, they move away. We're constantly receiving new members in our midst. Maybe you've seen those shows where uh, about organ transplants, where somebody is waiting for an organ donation, and suddenly one becomes available. They take the organ, they pack it in ice, and they put it in one of these little igloo coolers, and usually load it onto an ambulance or even to a helicopter, and they want to get it to the hospital as quickly as possible. And the cooler, once it gets there, is rushed to the operating theater. You think, why all the hurry? Well, what's the rush, right? Because the doctors know that the sooner you connect that transplanted organ, that new part, the healthier the organ is going to be, and certainly the healthier the patient is going to be. Delaying that means that each is going to suffer that little bit more. If they're not united very, very quickly, there's a risk that the transplant will fail. When a church body gets new people, we have to fully and quickly connect with them, or it's bad for both. A body with an us and them mentality is not going to be a healthy church. We have to integrate transplants as quickly as possible. When my family moved to the Upper Peninsula back in, when was it, 68, 69, uh, we lived in a rural community where most of the people were third or fourth generation locals. Uh, many of them, and their, their, their ancestors or their uh, even the grandparents had come from Finland or Sweden or someplace like that. Um, my family lived there for over 20 years. Guess what? To many locals, we were always that downstate bunch. Right? That's just who we were. 
I'm from the Grand Rapids area, you know, we were the Flatlanders, the Trolls, uh, whatever. We, we were the downstate bunch. We lived on farms that were still referred to by the locals by the name of the family that had owned the three families before we lived there. It was just, you know, we, we, were, uh, we were not really integrated, we were not really that. Uh, since moving to Hamilton, the nation I noticed an interesting phenomenon. Now, this is not a put down on, on Hamilton, it's just a, some, an observation that we have made. Hamilton's a wonderful community, the people are great, but there's a weird thing that we've noticed when we are, uh, we go to a sporting event, we go to a school function or something like that, and there'll be somebody sitting at nearby, and I'll start talking to them because I do, and, and I'll stick up my hand and I'll say, Hi, uh, my name is Barry Lucas. And they'll say, Nice to meet you. <laughs> and, and they don't say, Oh, I'm so and so. And, and we come home and say, What is going on with that? It seems to happen to both of us. And either people just don't like us, which is a very real possibility, and uh, <laughs> they just don't want to know us. Or here's what I really think is going on they just take it for granted. They've been in the community and they are known that they kind of take it for granted that introductions are not necessary, that I already know who they are, and that that feedback is not necessary. I'm the new guy, so I introduce myself. Nice to meet you, but I guess I just automatically know who you are. So I started to say, and your name is? And then it's like a little light coming on. Oh, yeah. So that's what has to happen. Folks, the same thing can happen in a church. We're comfortable with each other. We get used to our certain routine. And somebody else comes into our midst. And we have a very, very cursory and superficial connection with them. And then we kind of go back to, to doing our own thing. Assuming that they know the ropes. They know how things work. They know who everybody is. And they don't. And they have to be very careful to make sure that we connect with our transplants. Or we will function below 100%. So... We can consciously or unconsciously be reluctant to fully and quickly connect. Because again, caring is hard work. And so we might be reluctant to do that. But everybody has a need to feel a part of the larger whole. It's a bit like the guy who went to the doctor and said, Doctor, doctor, he said, I just feel like everybody ignores me. The doctor said, Next. So look around the room for a minute. Why don't you look around the room and just just sort of identify visually right now. I'm giving you permission. You can look at each other, alright? Not be rude. Pastor told me I had to do it. Okay? And just look at other people and say, hey, ask yourself, do I really know that person well? Uh, am I really connected with that person? And maybe that's something that I need to put on my agenda. Some people may be thought of as new. They might be as long as you have, but you've never really connected with them. What do you do to connect with them? What do we do as a body to make sure that those transplants get fully involved and connected and as quickly as possible so that we can eliminate the us and them feeling? Unless we connect transplants quickly, we will function below 100%. The fourth common illness is eye trouble. Eye trouble. Poor vision is a common complaint. Again, look around. Pun intended. Just note how many people are wearing glasses. Okay? <laughs> some people just whip them off. There we go. If you're not wearing glasses, you probably wear contacts or you've got LASIK or something like that. Um, 
When it comes to the body of Christ, eye trouble isn't a problem with our eyes, it's a problem with, with the, our, our, our visual capacity, but it's rather, what is it that we are looking at? What is it that we are looking at? What fills our vision? What is the center of our focus? Jesus told his disciples, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white and the harvest. Their eyes weren't fine, but it was a question of what is it that you are looking at, and therefore what is it that you are seeing? There's stuff that's happening right in front of their eyes, as, as Jesus was pointing out, but they're not seeing it. They're not looking in the right spot. We have to look around not only at the need, we have to look around at the opportunities that are all around us. A lot of times, excuse me, a lot of times what is wrong, what, what, what we're unhappy with becomes the singular focus of our vision, and in the process we start to uh, become blind to all of the things for which we should be thankful and all of the opportunities uh, that exist. Back in the 80s, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration did a study of single-vehicle accidents, primarily motorcycles. And the question that they ask themselves is, we see these accidents taking place over and over again, and here's the, the familiar scenario. The vehicle hit the one thing that there was to hit. There was 50 yards of clear space here, and 50 yards of clear space here, and a mailbox right here, and the vehicle managed to hit the mailbox. Why does this happen? And as they dug into this study, they realized that we have something called target fixation. And that is when you look at something, your body tends to follow where your eyes point. If you're on a motorcycle or driving a car, you don't realize that there's little, tiny, undetectable muscle movement which begins to steer you where your eyes point. So as they began to look into the city, they realized that the guy comes around the corner on a motorcycle. Maybe he's going a little bit too fast. He sees this mailbox that he does not want to hit. And he keeps looking at the mailbox that he does not want to hit. And guess what happens? He steers into the mailbox because he did not look at the clear space that was over here and the clear space that was over here. When we have eye trouble, it's usually the case of what it is that we are looking at. If we're looking at our problems and we're looking at our difficult circumstances or if we only focus on our feeling or if we only focus on our past mistakes, then we're a church with eye trouble. A church that is focusing on Jesus, on his promises, and on his instructions is a church with good vision. Um, one time I was uh, behind a car on the highway that seemed to be having some trouble staying in its lane, uh, even on the road. And as I got up closer, because I was curious as to what was going on, and I was having some sort of distress, I could see that the driver was trying to sort out some sort of facial problem in his rearview mirror. I don't know if he was trying to have a pickup pimple or, or, you know, uh, turn his mustache or something like that, and I could see him sort of hauling himself up to his rearview mirror so he could get a good examination of whatever was going on. And in the process, he was driving the car all over the place. And whatever was going on with his face was a lot more important to him than piloting two tons of steel on the road at 60 miles an hour. <coughs> Jesus says, look at those who need to hear the gospel. Paul says, look at those who have needs to hear this. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Fix your eyes on Jesus. When we're looking at the right things, our perspective and our vision is going to clear up. The answer to our eye trouble is the answer to that whole question. What are you looking at? Lastly, this is the part where we are part 60, you know, and you let up a little bit. Lastly, the most serious and sadly common health problem 
uh, is the dreaded C word, cancer. Just as in a human body, cancer in the body of Christ is painful, it is agonizing, and it is ultimately deadly. Now, I'm not going to attempt to draw a strict parallel between medical cancer and the situation with the church, but there are some similarities. Even doctors and research scientists don't know all the hows and whys of cancer. If they did, then this, this horrible disease with all of the misery that it's caused wouldn't be the threat that it is. So please, if you're well informed about cancer, don't fall beyond a layman's assessment of the disease. It causes, the causes are numerous and often mysterious. The cures are really easy. And the only certainty seems to be that when it's discovered, you better do something fast. The illness within a church body has these things in common with cancer. Here's the fundamental similarity. One of the frustrating and baffling things about cancer is that it is the body attacking itself. Furthermore, the insidious thing about cancer is called metastasis, in other words, left unchecked, it spreads. When there are unresolved conflicts, when there are unresolved grudges between families or between individuals in the body of Christ, it works like cancer, and it too spreads. Paul warned that we must beware lest any root of bitterness spring up begin to poison many. Many others will be contaminated by something that we might think is just our personal grudge or our personal bitterness. All said, not so. It has a metastasizing effect. One of the most repeated instructions for the body of Christ in the Bible is the necessity of forgiving each other. That's how you stop the effects and the spread of this cancer. Now that may mean some uncomfortable treatment. It may mean swallowing pride. It may mean being the first to break the stalemate. It may mean biting our tongues when we could add to criticism. It may be undoing something that has been years in the making. But as a friend of mine said to me recently, don't be afraid to admit a mistake just because you spent a long time making it. Forgiveness is the sure cure for spiritual cancer. Now folks, hands up if you've ever had a physical exam that you enjoyed. All right. <laughs> oh, Larry, you are a, a small minority. Uh, I don't even want to go there. Uh, <laughs> find out why. Personally speaking, I can't think one that I've ever made me feel comfortable. Um, sitting in a cold room on butcher paper with a gown that doesn't cover the backside of my body, not my ideal good time. But the exams are for my good. And so it is with the body of Christ. We need to allow God's word and God's spirit to examine us fully. To make the diagnosis. To make sure that we deal quickly and thoroughly with any illness that's revealed. God has a unique role for this fellowship, this congregation, this body of Christ, in this community to build the kingdom of God. Let's be sure that we are as healthy as we can possibly be to find and fit that role and meet that challenge. Amen? Amen. The last blank to fill in was the opener of the second Chronicles 714. 2 Chronicles 714. I'll leave you to look that up and fill in that blank yourself and to meditate and respond to that as God leads you. Let's stand and respond to this message with hymn number 283. We are God's people.